You are listening to Radiant Creators, a collaborative project composed of people whose passion, purpose, and dedication requires forging their own unique path of empowerment and livelihood. A Radiant Creator isn't making a living, they are living. Welcome home, Radiant Creators. Today we're talking to Robert Vincino. He is an entrepreneur with a global history of success in manufacturing, marketing, and real estate development. In 1980, Robert was inspired to build a shelter for 1,000 people deep underground to protect us from a coming life extinction event that was 35 years ago and was so vivid and compelling that he dropped everything and started looking for an underground cave or abandoned mine that could be hardened to create a shelter of massive proportions to save as many people as he could. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to Robert today was he truly had an inspiration and then he made it happen and his inspiration was really big and quite unique very very eccentric here at Radiant Creators we like to interview inspiring people to inspire others Robert Vincino got a massive inspiration that he made happen and that's really the core of what we talked to today So, you may be an individual that believes in earth changes and a need for bunkers, or you might not be, but it doesn't matter. We do talk about that a lot in this interview, but the real point of this is you can be inspired and you can create that inspiration because Robert Vincino is absolutely an example of that. So, enjoy the show. So, you created the Vivos Project, Robert Vincino, and you did it because you were inspired to do it. Where did that inspiration come from that got you to take such a massive undertaking on? You know, that's a good question. Um, I heard a voice in my head. It was, I was in my young 20s, about 25. And uh, it was uh, very powerful, very clear, and very specific. And it said that I needed to build <laughs> large shelters underground for thousands of people for something that's coming our way. Now, that was back in 1982, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I wasn't into any of this stuff. I had a successful business with, uh, at 25, about 100 employees, and uh, a few years thereafter, grew to about 200 employees, but nothing to do with this. It was in the advertising field, and um, so I took this as a as a mission, I guess, perhaps a burden. And the question I kept having is why me? You know, why am I getting this inspiration? Um, I did feel it was divine though. And so therefore had to be taken seriously. Um, So what I did was went up into the hills of Southern California where I live and uh, tried to find a gold mine or a silver mine that was abandoned. It was mined out. It would be cavernous enough that uh, we could go in and harden it, put in a hospital, cafeteria, everything that would be needed to uh, fortify it as an underground shelter, Uh, and hopefully large enough for a 1,000 people. Uh, Then I started to think, well, how am I going to pay for that? And the best I could come up with was the model that uh, athletic clubs or gyms were using, where you pay a monthly fee or something. 
anyways, um, it, I became discouraged because there was nothing readily available and, uh, you know, started focusing on my own business. Uh, people ridiculed me, you know, said it was crazy and uh, so on and so on. So I just tucked it away and every four or five years I'd pull it back out and uh, mention it to somebody. And every time I got the same reaction, it's crazy. Uh, that was up until 2007 when I mentioned it to some of my uh, associates. Um, and uh, they said, Robert, you got to do this. You got to do it now. Um, are you aware of what's going on? And uh, so, you know, we started to delve into what is going on because, quite frankly, I wasn't really aware. Um, I didn't even know who the Mayans were, to tell you the truth. And, uh, but I had a, this ongoing mission or, or cause. And in, at that time, in 07, I finally had a gut feeling that I didn't have any more time, that I couldn't put, put it off, I couldn't procrastinate, that if I'm going to do it, I had to do it then. Um, and so decided to uh, abort above-ground real estate development, which is what I was doing, high-end resort homes around the world that were effectively co-owned by uh, four families or six families, each one of these homes. And it's called fractional ownership, um, not timeshare or anything like that. Anyways, um, and I shifted horses and put myself and my team into this uh, full-time. We dove in and uh, never looked back. Um, it's been kind of a firestorm since we got started. Um, the uh, I think we put out one press release, and it was picked up by all of them, all of the networks, uh, NPR, you name it. And it was kind of an oh my god, are you kidding us? You're doing what? And um, so it was kind of the match that lit the fuse, and it's never diminished ever since. Um, just to give you an example, this is a global business that we're in now and a global concern. It's not American. It's, uh, it's every country. In fact, yesterday I did an uh, hour-long live a television show in uh, Russia uh, with interpreter, with an interpreter and so on. So uh, this weekend I'll do something in Australia, the Today Show down there. Um, so it um, it's it's truly global. Um, everybody is curious um, and maybe a little bit uh, afraid that it is real that there is a, uh, going to be a need for these shelters. Um, so, you know, that makes, um, that, that's the perfect formula for, uh, publicity or media, which is, uh, which is good. It makes us the beneficiary of, uh, an awful lot of free press, uh, which helps to get the word out, which helps us to build more shelters and accommodate more people. So that's kind of the, um, the nutshell of it. 
Um, since then, I have, since 07, we launched actually in 08. Uh, but since then, I've become very aware of everything that's going on. I do a tremendous amount of research. I get a tremendous amount of intel from our members, of which we have, oh, I don't know, well over 100,000 members. Um, and uh, from various high-level sources, military, science, uh, you name it. And I can tell you that the U.S. government, the Russian government, Chinese government have all built deep underground bunkers, uh, many of them, for themselves and for the elite, um, but not for you and not for me. And they've done that um, knowing, uh, apparently, that something's coming our way, which takes us back to the inspiration that I had. Uh, the key phrase was coming our way, which means not here it's not here now and it's coming from somewhere else the only thing i could attribute that to or interpret that as is it's uh, it's out there in the cosmos um it's not kim jong-un it's not russia it's not <clears throat> nuclear war these bunkers that the government has built our governments are so massive and so deep um they, they go well beyond any concerns for nuclear fallout uh, or any kind of a war. So what does that mean? It means we're about to see some major earth. And uh, um, what may be considered horrific, um, a few people um, will survive. And I say that based on, again, the intel that I get, but as well on history itself. What we're about to go through has happened many times before. It seems to be a recurring cycle every 12,000 years. So was that uh, the date of the last event, meaning Noah? Was it the Atlant Atlantis event? Was it the uh, continent of Mu event? Was it the, uh, you know, all these ancient cultures that have all uh, disappeared, but are still legendary, uh, or in certain um, scriptures, not just Christian, meaning the Bible, but in virtually all cultures, they've all recorded and reported uh, that this event or these events have happened. And now it's uh, recorded in the uh, layers of strata of the uh, earth itself. So geologists are, um, have been, you know, digging down and they find layers that tell stories. And, uh, you know, the story they're, they're reading is that um, the pole of the earth, the magnetic pole, has uh, changed, flipped 180 degrees on a, uh, on a regular basis. And the question is, what's causing that? And uh, there's a distinction between a magnetic pole shift and a crustal pole shift. And unfortunately, I believe that's what we're about to see is the crustal pole shift. And the crustal pole shift, that would be when basically the Earth's crust rotates on the mantle about a quarter turn. Is that how you see that when you have an actual crustal 
Yeah, there's, there's, that's right. There's predictions of anywhere from about 20, um, 25 degrees to as much as 45 degrees. Um, but it could be 180 and uh, could be a complete flip. What's being witnessed right now by scientists is the magnetic pole is moving towards the north magnetic poles, moving towards the Bay of Bengal, which is uh, off of India. And the south pole is moving to the tip of Brazil. Um, so if so, Brazil will be Antarctica or effectively in that, in that climate zone. And, uh, what does that mean to North America? It means we're heading towards the equator. Um, anyways, there's plenty of, uh, good research and information out there that your listeners can pull up. Um, but I can just tell you, you know, I'm becoming an expert or maybe becoming aware of and starting to connect all the dots of what is going on and what is about to happen. But there are better experts out there to talk about uh, the technicalities, the science behind it all. Um, about is not the problem of the solution. The solution being Vivos and our vast network of underground bunkers that currently can accommodate about 10,000 people. But it's growing, and uh, with the acquisition of a new site that we're uh, working on, we're going to be able to accommodate 20,000 people, mm. which, is, which is still minuscule. One or two in a million people on the planet, or three in a, out of every million. You know, which begs the question what is everybody else going to do? And when it comes to the pole shift like that, whether it's so the magnetic pole wander is not really a big deal, but of course, if you actually get a crustal shift, then that's very hard to survive. And it's happened in the past, of course, we know that. Um, and there's a great book, it's the Adam and Eve story by, I believe, Chan Thomas is the guy's name. Definitely not, definitely not before you go to sleep reading unless you really like nightmares. <laughs> but, and it's not a very cheery story, but it does cover, you know, what, uh, it is a very good indication, a very good, a very good writing on well, what a pole shift would look like, I think. Yeah, it's also classified and about 75% of the book was, uh, was blacked out and deleted by the CIA back in the 50s. So that and others have... Um, you know, explained uh, what has happened in the past and what will happen again in the future. Uh, even Einstein was aware of it and, was, and predicted it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. Let me give you something that I think connects a few dots, and that is there's the uh, most people know about Fatima, the three secrets of Fatima. Um, and if they don't, Fatima is a small town in northern Portugal. And back in the early 1900s, 1905, 06, somewhere around there, there were three young children that went out and played in the field next to what was considered a grotto. And my understanding of the, what a grotto is is where water is coming out of, the, out of a cliff. Uh, it's coming up out of the ground. Um, 
it's kind of like in France, they have it and it's called Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, which is considered a spiritual site. Uh, people mecca there to, to bathe in the water or drink the water. But, uh, and it's very healing, apparently. Um, I have a story about that, but I won't tell you. But anyways, <laughs> they threw me into the pool. Um, when you walk in the room, there's a bunch of priests and uh, just by walking in, they think that you want to bathe in the water. Well, I didn't. I was just curious, but I got a bath. So um, that was about 35, 30 years ago. But anyways, um, so Fatima, what happened was when these children, these three, two girls and a young boy, and, and they were about six, seven, eight years old, when they were out playing, um, all of a sudden, uh, the appar an apparition of the Virgin Mary appeared floating over their head. Um, and uh, it was kind of like a hologram, if you will. And they looked up, dropped to their knees, and started praying. And apparently, uh, she communicated with the kids and told them about things that are going to happen in the future. And so the kids went back to their home and told their parents. Uh, their parents were somewhat dubious and uh, disbelieving, but they, um, they went back there with the children on their next visit. And the Holy Mary appeared again and told them another uh, insight or about uh, the future. Anyways, the... The third time they went back, the whole village that they lived in went with them. And there are photos. If somebody were to search the third secret of Fatima, uh, it's, it's known as, um, historic photos, black and white, of uh, the whole village in their proper garb of the, uh, of the time, uh, standing there looking up at this apparition, at this uh, vision of the Holy Mary. And their jaws have dropped, uh, and so on. Well, anyways, those three uh, occurrences, um, the children were told uh, uh, what it was considered um, horrific uh, visions of the future. And so they went to their local priest who wrote them down and got them delivered to the Vatican. The Vatican uh, put them in total uh, security and uh, didn't reveal what those secrets were. Uh, apparently two of them have already come to pass and one had to do with the, uh, the death of a Pope or shooting of a Pope. But the third one, and that's the biggie, has never been disclosed by the Vatican. The uh, Pope John Paul in the early 80s was at a conference of bishops in Germany. And he was asked uh, by one of the bishops, what is the third secret of Fatima? And the Pope said to him, what good would it do for me to satisfy your vicarious interest by telling you that the oceans are going to leave their basins and uh, wash across the land, and billions of people are going to suddenly die. 
So I guess he told them, even though it was cryptic. Um, but it's still denied as of this date that the third secret has not been uh, revealed. Mm. And so um, I believe that that's what the third secret is. It's a pulse shift, which describes exactly what he said and what, you know, evidence, geological evidence uh, we have and the recurrence of it and the, and the, um, the legends of it, be it Noah um, or whatever. So this is something that has been going on since the birth of the earth. And it's something that we can't stop. You know, there's no way to stop it. Um, it's, it's caused by our own uh, molten core, uh, molecular. It's caused by the sun uh, and the uh, gamma and rays off of the sun. It's caused by um, solar burst, um, which, you know, without getting into a lot of detail, that has an effect as it hits our Earth. Uh, those uh, rays of gamma rays and radiation, which destroys our magnetosphere. Uh, the magnetosphere is a is what in, blankets the Earth uh, in space, right? In, envelops the Earth uh, and protects us from that solar radiation. And so one thing that's been observed by scientists is the magnetosphere has been dissipating uh, since the 1800s. So this has been a long, drawn-out process. But now they're seeing it dissipate as much as 5% per decade. So what happens is we're losing our shield, uh, you know, like uh, Star Trek, you know, the shields. and uh, those shields are what protect the, uh, the earth, our atmosphere, our ability to live on it, uh, on the surface rather than inside it, and, uh, and everything we know. And so I'll take it a step further. You know, I, I've been asked by, to go on uh, NBC uh, for a program they have talking about uh, global warming. And... Uh, and uh, their question is, uh, have people come to Vivos because of global warming? And our response to them is, you don't understand. It goes well beyond global warming. The cause is not CO2. Yes, the earth is going through dramatic changes and more to come. Uh, horrific changes in the future. But it's not because of our SUVs. It's because of a cycle that uh, is just a natural cycle that will happen again and again and again. And so what we have recently experienced with uh, the po polar vortexes, uh, if you live in America, you know there's been these deep, cool uh, Arctic waves that have come down deep into the United States. Uh, last winter we had several, and uh, record cold and uh, chilling temperatures. Um, I live in San Diego, so it's uh, probably the best climate in the country, but um, it too experienced it. Uh, our winter was much cooler last year and wetter. But let's take uh, areas in the Midwest. It was, you know, minus 10, minus 30 um, last year and the year before. 
So what's causing those polar vortexes? Global warming? No. It's the magnetic field changing inside the Earth, moving, as well as the magnetosphere and how it affects uh, the atmosphere on the surface. So um, it's all dynamic, but it is happening. And it's going to uh, be radical when, as we get closer and closer to the actual event. Um, so I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm here to educate you. I'm here to open your eyes. Uh, I'm here to help you, um, connect the dots, you know, knowledge is power. And, um, you know, if your plan is that you're going to be, you're planning to be lucky and survive, uh, you know, good luck with that. Uh, most people prepare to survive. The ones that do will be um, the true survivors. And what I mean by that is it's not having three days of food or a month's worth of food in your garage or in your basement. It's having something that you can protect your family, your body, your physical being uh, from all of this uh, hellish stuff that is going to happen on the surface of the planet. And people, you know, let me just also resolve another, or respond to another concern that I often hear, and that is, well, why would you want to survive that? And my answer to that is, why wouldn't you? You know, if you knew, uh, when no, if you were back in Noah's time, and you knew that uh, he, uh, the things he was uh, concerned about and caused him to build this so-called ark, um, were true and were going to happen. And he offered you a space on his ark. Uh, would you have taken it? And the answer is, of course you would. Who wouldn't want to survive? And what did they survive? Whatever that calamity was, perhaps a pole shift, and the opportunity to restart, recreate uh, the human race. You know, to 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 start over. Mm. So I don't know, but I wouldn't mind my DNA, or I, I would imagine most people would like to see their family, their heritage, uh, be a part of that. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be, uh, you know, Stone Age hell on earth uh, after the fact. We may come out and um, things are green and the sky is blue and the birds are chirping. Um, we don't know. But that's specifically uh, regarding a pole shift and a, the global climate change and everything that we will experience. There are other events from an EMP that takes our lights out to a civil war within the United States, which many believe are, is already happening, uh, you know, the left and the right. And, um, and people are preparing for it. And I think the next election we have presidential is going to be a pivoting time where Hell is going to all hell is going to break loose in that regard. It's Others now, yes, yeah, it already is. Others see an economic collapse, and what would that uh, help? That would create poverty and desperation. Um, I mean, you just pick pick your poison; they're all out there. But again, the one that I am uh, 
I guess my uh, my inspiration and my mission is based on something coming our way. And, you know, you haven't heard me say anything about an asteroid or Planet X or Nibiru yet. But, <laughs> but um, you know, that is something that adds to the mix if it indeed is out there. And if it is indeed coming through our inner solar system in our near future, uh, which many scientists and astronomers will uh, admit to, and those that would have testified to it, unfortunately, are dead. um, Because, again, the government doesn't want everybody to know uh, before they can no longer hide it. Now, let me give you a little adage. The government of our, our country or any country cannot tell you about a problem that they don't have a solution for. So if they told you that on a certain date, an asteroid's going to hit the planet or Nibiru's going to pass and put us into a tailspin uh, or wreak havoc, um, you know, hell, hell on earth. Um, and they told you the date or the approximate date, um, you, society would melt down. All, uh, People would say, well, I don't care if I get arrested. There, ain't, there isn't going to be a prison in X number of years. And so they're going to do what? They're going to rape. They're going to pillage. They're going to, you know, all the things that the rules tell you not to do. We will have a, 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 a society without law, uh, without rules. And uh, people will take advantage of it. Some will you know, probably commit suicide. Others would um, just, you know, cry in their sorrows. But the, um, you know, in that regard, and it w- and that's how it would unfold if, if the government did tell you. In that regard, the government's better not to tell us because as long as we can continue to enjoy life as we know it, you know, from their point of view, they're doing us a good service and uh, probably so. So it goes back to the third secret. And that is why has it not been revealed? Just like the government hasn't revealed um, what they know is coming. um, What has caused them to build their deep underground bunkers again around the world um, for trillions of dollars, by the way, those trillions that have, disappeared from the Pentagon, which I don't care what kind of fuzzy math you use or uh, accounting practice, uh, you don't lose trillions of dollars. You don't misplace it. But anyways, um, the third secret is considered um, mankind cannot handle it. So therefore, it cannot be disclosed. All right. So I could go on and on about all this. Um, Pick, pick your poison, pick any one of the subjects from nuclear war to, you know, uh, maybe anarchy, maybe a biological um, weapon that has been released, um, or just uh, natural things. Um, but I can tell you that the threats are all around us, and we're not going to be able to stop it has nothing to do with Trump, Putin, Little Dong, or anybody else that's out there. 
It uh, this stuff is beyond our imagination. So that said, what do we do? And that and the answer is we prepare. We find a solution or not. You know, maybe you want to. Maybe you don't want to. Sorry, you know. Maybe you don't want to uh, to bother, or maybe you can't afford to bother. Um, but I think that's taking a um, uh, an escape uh, view of it rather than dealing with it. And so, um, you know, which then begs the question, you know, well, it costs money. Vivos is expensive to get into. And the answer is no, it's not. Uh, we have people uh, that have bought in that are, I think, poverty level income. Uh, you know, eleven, twelve thousand dollars a year is their income. Um, you can buy a single space in Vivos for yourself for seventy-five hundred dollars. Um, you know, get a second job at McDonald's, and you know you'll be able to afford that. So it really boils down to not how much, but how willing you are to. Um, protect yourself and your family if you're concerned and you uh, you want to live through what is about to happen. Mm. Um, but I will tell you, there is going to be a thinning of the population on the planet. And it's going to be a major thinning. And again, many people out there, the Bill Gates, Ted Turners of the world will tell you, great, the world is overpopulated as it is. And they want to see it get back into balance. You know, the Georgia Guidestones say 500 million people is uh, the appropriate balance um, of the population on, the, on our planet. And to balance it with nature so it, uh, we can coexist. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people. But I am telling you, this stuff, this stuff is going to you mentioned 12,000 year cycles and it seems that things are being unearthed that help us realize that. Um, for one thing, there's Gopekli Tepe over there in Turkey and that's been dated at first I thought it was about 9,000 years old, but as more work's been done, it seems like it's coming in right about 12,000 years old, uh, Gobekli Tepe. And it is a amazing city. I'd love to get there and actually see it. And it's got some hieroglyphs and some stories that are written in it, which do tend to lean towards showing us a cataclysm. Um, we, on, you, you, you need to explain to your audience what it is. It's an underworld oh. city. Yeah. So, it yeah. Was dug out 12,000 years ago by the uh, people of their time to find protection inside the earth from something outside. Oh, so it was underground. Okay, I may not understand it as well as I thought. So I thought it was existing 12,000 years ago, and then it was covered. No. And Oh, okay, so yeah. Actually, if you can enlighten us more on Gopekli Tepe, because... Well, in, in Vision, uh, if you ever as a kid had one of those things called an ant farm, you know, where you watch the ants create tunnels in the sand, and it goes down real deep, many layers and levels. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, definitely. Uh, everyone loves ant farms. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that's probably the easiest way to visualize it. And that's what they did over there. They dug um, deep into the ground, into the earth, 
and created an underground habitation habitat for thousands of people uh, who went into these um, caverns uh, and tunnels and survived whatever that event was. So they must have known it was coming and prepared mm. for it because you don't do that that quickly. You can't dig it out in a day um, or after you know all hell breaks loose. Just like you can't build a bunker or find a bunker solution after uh, there's a meltdown and all hell breaks loose. You know, I, I, let me throw in adages because I think they help people uh, get it, and that is. Uh, you know, I've, when people say this is crazy and so on, I ask them if they have um, auto, auto insurance on their, on their car. And their answer is, of course, you have to. And I said, well, that's crazy. It is, you're absolutely crazy to have auto insurance. You don't need it until the day before the accident. So go figure. Nobody knows when that day is coming. And thus it was a rhetorical facetious, you know, question and response, but it, it does illustrate the point. You can't run down to home Depot and buy a fire extinguisher after your kitchen catches on fire. That's not mm -hmm. a survival plan. That's not a ready plan. And so, um, you know, and then let me give you another perspective. Very, very interesting. I've had every uh, reporters from the LA Times that are extremely liberal uh, to uh, German reporters uh, that have, uh, they've all taken this socialist look at this and said, well, why should these people survive? Why should only those that have a couple nickels to rub together survive? You know, that's not fair. Um, and so I say, exactly. Uh, I agree with you. But unfortunately, your government, my government, is not able, because of the cost, to provide shelter for everybody. But let me ask you something. If they did, and I, I like the German guy when I said, if your government had shelter for every citizen of Germany, that you could go to your designated shelter and it was nearby and you knew that this, everything was there, food, medicine, clothing, water, fuel, everything that's needed for you and others to survive for a year or more, would you go? And their answer in every single case is absolutely. I'd love it. So then I say to them, meaning you love it because somebody else is offering it to you for free. And they go, yeah. And so my response is, so it's all a matter of price. What, you know, the difference between a good idea and a crazy idea is how much. I said, that's a very uh, pitiful fact that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people would look at. You know, I, I boil it down to choice. You know, you either want that new car, you want to take that vacation, you want to buy a new house, you know, all sorts of things, or you want to get a little more assurance, life assurance that, you know, you're going to survive. Oh, definitely. It's like uh, there's a saying that uh, if you can afford 
guns and ammo, you can afford body armor. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, yeah but, but just because you have guns and ammo or body armor doesn't mean you want to use it. Doesn't mean you hope to be able to kill somebody unless you're crazy. And, it, you know, it's the one thing you have for protection, but you hope you never have to use it. Oh, yeah. I definitely never want to test out my body armor. That would not be cool. Um, <laughs> oh, we, well, wait a minute. Vivos, you know, needs some practice, security practice. Could you come, come over with some of your armor on? <laughs> Let oh, oh of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, the, um, the point is, this is the one piece of real estate, a bunker, that you hope you never have to use. And but but it is fun to use. That's one of the things I, I, I know this may sound like a, a weird perspective on it, but I feel like we're all getting back to people who are prepper minded. Really, one of the things that they're doing, and there's all kinds of reasons to be a prepper, but regardless of the individual, like, like the reasons that somebody might decide, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to be prepper minded. What we're really doing is going back to a better way of living. We're going back to the way our, our great-great-grandparents lived. Because if you look at our great-great-grandparents, or if not them, our great-great-great-grandparents, everybody was a prepper. You know, so really we're getting back to a natural way of life. And I think when we do get back to that more natural, you know, you could, you could say earth-connected, spiritually-connected, however you want to look at it, life, a more grounded life, then you're happier anyway. So to me, um, you're going to be happier with the bunker. You're going to be happy with your body armor. You're going to be happier that way. And as far as who's going to survive, I like the way you mentioned it being an economic issue, but also, you know, almost someone we've had on the show, Les Stroud, very cool individual, he wrote a book called Will to Live, Dispatches from the Edge of Survival. And he looked at all these different scenarios where people had to survive, all these situations where people were stranded and some made it and some didn't. Or, and a common theme on people who survived were the ones who wanted to, who had that will to live, who said, not today. Like, I will not die on this mountain. I will get off of it somehow. And so really... Those who have a will to live, I think it's financial, like you're saying, if it was straight people would do it, but um, really, do you think it's also a will to live? There are some people who, they just have a will to live because life is fun, and it just seems to be a way to honor the fact that you've been given life, is to try to stay alive. It's, it's, it, should be, it should be natural to people, and the fact that people would even ask, why do you want to survive, kind of makes me question that person who's asking me that question. Right. Let me give you uh, a couple examples um, before I forget. One would be a film producer. Just, but I'm going to make that the second one. The first one would be 9-11. And we all know what happened. But most people wait for the government or somebody of authority to, to tell them what to do. Right? They, they can't decide for themselves. Their instincts are they don't have it you know to to tell them uh run escape you know uh protect yourself uh you know um fight or flight and so you know we've seen that in situations like uh the las vegas shooting and other you know mass shootings lately but 9-11 what happened was um people started evacuating the building. Uh, and then a security guard in the building 
appeared and told people everything was fine, go back to your offices. And so certain people did go back and they never got out. While others that said, hell no, I'm using my own gut. And that is one of self-responsibility and uh, my survival instincts. I'm getting hell out of here. And they ran down those stairs and got out of there as fast as they could. So you see, there's the, though you got to have the instincts to survive and not to be um, taken care of. You know, well, if, if, if we're supposed to survive, then somebody will come and get us and, and they'll, they'll help us. They'll take care of us. And those, that's a, I think, you know, the mindset, it's, it's one of effectively socialism where you're relying on the government for everything and including to telling you what to do and when to do it. But let me tell you about the producer. I had a famous Academy award winning producer and I'm not going to use this name here. I've used it before, but I probably shouldn't disparage him. He visited my home in Del Mar, California back in 2012. And he wanted to do a documentary on Vivos. And what, so we sat and we talked for about two hours. We had cheese and wine and, you know, it was a nice little afternoon, Sunday afternoon. And, um, you know, there was a, he was feeling me up. I was feeling him up on, you know, where he was coming from. And uh, effectively, what he wanted to do was to get into the people's heads that are, were members of Vivos and to find out why, why are they doing this? You know, what is their concern? And um, it was a very vicarious and maybe even, uh, I don't know, a gotcha, hostile type of, a, of approach, cynical uh, from his point of view. So I said to him after two hours, let me ask you a question. I said, if we got noticed right now that something was going to happen to at least this hemisphere of the world um, or beyond, and nobody on the surface was going to survive, and that notice was, we had two hours notice, and I could uh, offer you a space in a Vivo shelter that we can get to in 30 minutes if we leave right now and you will be accommodated, protected uh, with everything you need. And his wife was with him. And I said, and your wife as well. And uh, we, we can hang out there uh, for as long as it takes, not a minute longer, meaning when it's safe to open the door, we will. But uh, we can ride it out and hope for the best um, and at least have the option of, of uh, returning to the surface. I said, would you go with me? And he said, no, I'd rather sit on your porch with a glass of Pinot Noir and watch the show. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him. Now, again, this guy is famous, one of the top producers in the world. Academy Award winning. And I said, you're full of shit. I said, you're not, <laughs> you're not prepared to die. You know, you're just taking a very vicarious, uh, uh, oh, what's the word? Um, 
uh, I can't think of it right now, but you know, um, gallant, um, uh, you know, reaction and, and response to what I said. Um, but you're not ready to die. If you are, I got a blindfold. There's a freeway over there. Let's go try it out. You know, I said, uh, the problem is you didn't take my question, my hypothetical seriously, because if, if you did, there's only one answer. Um, and so as a result of that, and you're continuing to play, you know, this high mighty, you know, uh, better than thou attitude. Um, there's no way we're going to do a film or a documentary together. There's no way I would have you meet with my members and I don't think they would care to meet with you. So there's nothing here. So we shook hands and that was the end of it. So, um, <clears throat> we have all sorts of people out there. And, uh, again, all I can tell you is in, in a, I hope this doesn't come across too harsh, but not everyone is meant to survive. Mm. What is coming? No, it makes plenty of sense. And like I mentioned, there's an amazing book by uh, Lestrade, you know, Will to Live. And he does cover that, that really wh why some people live through extraordinary circumstances is because they had decided to, they had a will to live. And really, just think of it as a light switch. It doesn't even make an individual special. It just means that they've decided to live. And, and anyone can do that. You can decide that, you know, I will not die in this situation. Like I was once in a an awful car crash and I saw it coming like a second before it happened. And all I can tell people, and they can believe in such things or not, but I decided in that moment that I was going to walk away without a scratch. Yeah. And it did. I decided this will not kill me. It won't even injure me. Now, I had a broken nose and some loose, te loose teeth, and my forearms were all bleeding from the airbag. And I actually ripped the seatbelt out of the floor of the car. But I got out of the car and was kind of walking around the highway and somebody took me off at the side and I kind of came to and I, and, I, and I thought to myself, when I looked at all this wreckage, I went, I had the will to live. I had decided I was going to. Anyway, you know, teach. There, there's a movie in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we are meant, certain things are meant to happen to us. Now, your inspiration really does speak to me because you were inspired to do this and you know, I think things happen to us for reasons. Like I went to uh, Somalia when I was in the military and it was right after the, say like the Black Hawk Down movie was ending. That's when we got there and we were there for a couple months. And I saw a city, a people, a society that was never first world in the first place, but it became stone age in a matter of a couple days. And, you know, I saw what it looks like when you go from the civilization that works to one that is stone age. And then this process that takes place. And so really there are those with the will to live and then those without it. And I would say the guy who was saying that he would just sit there with a glass of Pinot, well, I think people like that do exist in that I think a lot of our human instincts, and you could even call them spiritual instincts if one wants to, um, we do have a will to live. And I would say that, that what he's saying is very, it sounds very Hollywood to me. And I know Hollywood is more of a industry than, than one place. It's also very, how would I put it? I don't want to come from a political aspect, but it is very left to say that. I mean, people have 
really had their instincts removed from them. And it does seem that some people keep their instincts, some people can have them programmed out of them, conditioned out of them, and then some people start to turn their instincts back on as life goes on. And I'm kind of curious, you mentioned you've got 100,000 members. Now, you don't have 100,000 spots for them to go yet, I imagine. So how, like, how are those 100,000 100, members affiliated with, with, the, uh, with Vivos? Well, the first thing that uh, you have to do to get into Vivos is go to our website and fill out a membership application. And it's pretty benign. It just tells us you know, a little bit about you. Um, you know, of course, your name, your age, um, some basic contact information, um, but also what your skill sets are. So there's a number of boxes you can check. You could be a pilot and a surgeon and a military guy all in one. And uh, then a little essay, you know, paragraph on why you feel you want into Vivos or why Vivos should, have, should let you in. And then there's a page two that is a questionnaire that, you know, uh, ask you personal questions about what do you think is ahead and how long have you felt this and what have you done to prepare for it and so on. And so that just gives us a pretty good feel for who the person is. Um, and uh, in many cases, you know, we get a lot of wise guys filling those out and saying all sorts of you know, nasty things or stupid things, really, Soft, sophomoric, um, for, and we turn them down. You know, there's a little button, it's called decline. And uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll receive a letter saying, sorry, we wish you the best, and so on and so on. But, you know, I can tell you Adolf Hitler was uh, declined. Um, <laughs> Mother Teresa uh, was declined several times. Oh, um and so, you know, they think they're doing some kind of gotcha on us. Um, but you could also be declined for any kind of intolerance. So if you make comments on there that I would never want to be in a shelter with children or with dogs or with cats or with any certain race, colored people of whatever, or religion, you know, um, you know, it, I would only go there if it was all Christians, for example. Well, that tells us you really can't get along with others. And you're not realistic to the moment of truth. Um, and so we don't want those people in there because obviously we need harmony. We need everybody to have each other's back and to be tolerant of every, everything, uh, that uh, others may bring to the table. Uh, you know, and I use a metaphor, and that is, if uh, you knew that Dodge, this, the mythical city of Dodge, uh, was about to be destroyed, and there was an airplane who was, that was leaving, you know, the last plane out of Dodge, and you could safely get out of Dodge uh, by boarding the plane, um, would you? Or would you say, oh, I can't get on a plane with people I don't know? Or, geez, there's a lot of certain color or minority or race, religion or whatever in there. No, I'm, gonna, I'm not getting on the plane. Well, 
I don't think anybody would really do that. At the moment of truth, you're going to put all your prejudices aside and you're going to get on that plane or you're going to be dead. Um, you know, so if the offer and the option was there, why wouldn't you? But you see, when people are uh, filling out an application, they can, they can show their true colors uh, and they're prejudiced and racist or whatever they are. And, um, you know, that gives us a glimpse into what they're going to be like later. You know, we've also found uh, certain people that were admitted uh, weren't what they said they were. So we saw the good side of them, but it took us a little time to see the bad side of them. And, uh, you know, I've often said, you know, we go, we approve people for Vivos based on a written application, a phone discussion, uh, and various other communications, um, which, uh, but we don't go to bed with them. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's take a look at people, they get married. Um, well, first of all, I guess they date, then they get married and somewhere along the line, they sleep with each other and perhaps they sleep with each other for five years before they find out what the other person is really all about. And, uh, it usually will, those end in a, in a divorce. We don't sleep with people, so we do the best we can to ferret, but, um, you know, some, some will be found out after. And uh, so back to your question, we have 100,000 members. These are people that want to get into Vivos. Um, however, that's just offering them a ticket to the party. They still have to buy the ticket. And so we have various shelters around the world at various price points and ways of, of, uh, of accommodation, means of accommodation. Some of them are private shelters where you could put 10 people in, uh, like our X point in South Dakota, where we have 575 bunkers built by the military during World War II. Each one is 2,200 square feet, so as big as an average American home. Um, you can easily accommodate about 24 people in each one of those. Uh, that would be pushing it, so normal family of 10 or 12 is probably uh, the right mix. But then we have other bunkers, like in Indiana, it's a single bunker with uh, accommodates 80 people. Uh, it's big. It has lots of area to walk around, a gym, a kennel area, hydroponics, a kitchen, lounge, a theater, private bedrooms, et cetera, et cetera. That one's in Indiana, I think? Yeah, it's in uh, south. It's near Terre Haute, Indiana which is on the west side between Indianapolis and St. Louis. And that one's kind of like on a, you kind of consider it like an underground apartment sort of. It, it, it's, it's, more, it's, it's more of a communal living. Well, it's, you're sharing the space. It's kind of like a cruise ship. Okay, uh, gotcha. You're all aboard the same ship, but you have a private compartment. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been noted as being five-star by certain media, four-star, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, and one of the issues of yesterday's uh, interview with Russian television was, you know, why are they so nice? Why has Vivos built these things out to be such high quality and comfort comfortable? And my response is because 
you know, not only does the structure have to survive, and the structure is concrete and steel with a very heavy blast door that can withstand a nearby nuclear um, explosion uh, and everything that follows thereafter. Um, but the people have to survive inside it psychologically. So you can't go into a gray underground water tank or whatever it may be, steel, which there are some bunker manufacturers trying to sell corrugated pipes and things like that, and, uh, and expect to psychologically survive for long. You, you know, so the incremental cost for us to use nicer materials, uh, nice colors, very uh, earthy colors, very warm, uh, cozy, um, leathers, certain woods, hardwoods, and just make it comfortable is maybe 5% more in the big picture so uh, of the total cost of a shelter. So the, you know, the, the answer is why not? You know, you, when you go to a, pardon the uh, plug here, but when you go to a Starbucks, there's a, an atmosphere in there that is kind of, it makes you feel good, makes you feel comfortable. You just want to sit down and have a coffee, hang out, maybe get your laptop to your homework, whatever. But um, there's a psychology to that. There's a reason they chose those colors and the furniture and everything else they have in there um, versus going into some sterile white, you know, uh, let's say white painted Joe's coffee. Um, you're probably not going to want to hang out in there and you're probably not going to be very comfortable, probably won't even buy it anyways. So um, we, we look at everything from the structure to the comfort, to the uh, amount of food, the diet, uh, what exact items are we uh, providing for long-term uh, gestation, if you will. Um, hydroponics, the growing of food, aquaponics, you know, pets, allowance for pets, um, but as well, medical uh, support and security. And that's the third key item. You can have the best shelter in the world, and it can be the most comfortable interior. Uh, but you better be able to secure it. Because when the hordes, the zombies, or whatever they are, uh, come and try to break in, you better be able to uh, defend it. And I don't mean uh, at the moment. I mean 24-7. And... Therefore, you need a community of people because you and your wife and two kids are not going to be able to uh, stand guard 24-7 and, uh, and further even fight off the hordes. There was a movie called The Road, and I think it depicted, oh, yes. yeah. it depicted uh, people breaking into a bunker uh, and your the the, uh, the father's inability to protect it. So um, thus, we're not real fans. I don't believe in backyard bunkers. All right, I think that's fine for a very short, intermittent, maybe a nuclear event, something where you're going to be in it for a week. But certainly, you're not going to psychologically, physically um, survive or be able to defend it long term. You know, there will be others on the surface once it's safe to roam, and they will, and they're going to either hear you or smell you, what you're cooking or whatever, 
and they are going to be knocking on your blast door to try to get in. Hmm. Oh, they definitely are. And I saw that in, in, in Somalia where basically, unfortunately, every dwelling, every home just becomes a target because you're going to have very well-organized bands of bad people, you know, who didn't just become bad. They always were bad. There are just bad people out there who see the ultimate opportunity to do what they've always wanted to do. And they just go through neighborhoods and just, you know, rob every house one by one. And it's very hard to defend a house very long. Houses don't tend to be bulletproof and such like that. You kind of have to take it at more of a like neighborhood level. You have to kind of defend a larger area. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. It's uh, something that it's good you have a diverse, uh, you know, uh, uh, types of people there in the uh, shelter because that's a bit much for some people to take on. I just don't think that they would be able to. Some people cannot, and then some people are very at home with it. Um, there's a great documentary called The Fog of War, by uh, and, and uh, McNamara was in it. It's about him, basically. He was Secretary of Defense, I think, through World War II and then uh, some of Vietnam. And he, he goes through the 11 uh, lessons he learned in that position. And, you know, one of the things he, I think some that, some, like, some that really speak to me when you think of defending your territory is like lesson one was empathize with your enemy, understand you know, who they are, why they're doing what they're doing, which is easy to understand. And like lesson nine was in order to do good, you may have to engage in evil. That's just the way it goes. And then also, if you consider evil, evil is kind of hard to define. But then lesson 11 was you can't change human nature. So he kind of summed up right there, this guy who was Secretary of Defense through some difficult situations. You know, he, he kind of like lays the groundwork for what you have to think of when it comes to defending your community. You have to be ready, willing, and able um, and uh, understand that uh, you, you have to defend your, you know, hold your ground and defend yourself. Effectively, it's going to be the have-nots coming after the haves. And, uh, you know, which is the way society works even today. You know, you, you don't want to go downtown in certain dark areas and alleys in the middle of the night um, unless you've got some skills uh, and maybe uh, some defenses with you. So, you know, it's only going to be worse. Imagine when there's no rule of law um, and so on. In fact, one of the things uh, we have is a lot of military, a lot of police, active duty uh, and or retired as members and owners of our various bunkers. Um, and uh, I've asked highway patrolmen, uh, uh, all sorts of cops when I come across them, you know, I'm very friendly to cops and I start a, start a conversation and I'll say, you know, let me ask you something. If this stuff happened, if an event like this happened, what are you going to do? Are you going to stand your, at your post and uh, try to protect others? Or are you going to go home to your family and protect them? And the response is always, hey, of course, my family. So as soon as this kind of magnitude of this stuff happening, don't expect anybody out there to help protect you. You're going to have to protect yourself. And you, you know, and you better be ready. But let me also say, if you're aware, because you're listening to this program or 
you're already, you know, you're on the wavelength, you've been studying, you've been connecting the dots, reading, whatever you're doing. Um, you will be able to read the tea leaves um, as it's happening or before it happens. While most people, let's say the lights went out and they're going to think, oh, well, lights will be back on. Let's, let's have a little block party. Um, let's get the candles and the flashlights out. Other people downtown will be saying, hey, lights are out. Let's have it take advantage. Let's go into the Walgreens and wipe it out. and Let's go take all the TVs over there at Walmart and so on. And uh, so you're going to have, you know, raids and um, pillaging and, uh, and others will go to crime, you know, uh, sexual rape and so on. Um, so, but if you're aware of, geez, maybe the lights aren't coming back on. Maybe that was an EMP. Um, then be aware of the fact that it's going to take about three days for civilization to completely melt down. And what, where that three days comes from is that's when reality sets in and the lights haven't come back on or whatever the other the issue or situation was. But it's also when people run out of food. Most people only have about three days worth of food in their home. And so when you start running out of food, starvation uh, sets in. You're going to do what you have to do. You too may become one of the have-nots, uh, a predator uh, looking for the haves. So Susie Homemaker next door with her two little children, who's been the nicest, sweetest neighbor ever, she may be knocking on your door and asking if you can help her, if she ha if you have anything. And she might even be a little more aggressive than that and say, look, I'm not asking, I'm telling. And who knows what she's holding in her hand at the time. So, you know, understand human nature and understand that, um, you know, if you're really good at reading the tea leaves, you're going to get out of Dodge before it even happens. You know, if there's saber rattling in between China, America, Russia, whatever it is, or if a nuke goes off in London, uh, or if there's a pandemic spreading quickly, you know, throughout Europe, whatever the event may be, um, is an alert to you to head, head to safety, head bug out, go to bunker if you have one. And, uh, you know, think of it this way. It's like the fire, alarm goes off, the firemen get on the engine and head to the fire. They don't know what they're going to encounter. They just know there's been an alarm. It could be a false alarm. And as a false alarm, okay, they turn around and go back. You know, I didn't coin that term. It's, it's out there. And so my adage is better to have a false alarm than no alarm at all. So it's only, uh, again, a matter of awareness and a matter of will. You know, are you, I was doing a Fox interview, Fox News, uh, and um, I remember the reporter asked me, she goes, well, um, how do we get there? And I said, uh, well, it's a question of what are you willing to give up? And she looked at me or you know, said, huh, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, let's say that there are some warning signs. Are you willing to 
give up a few days of work? Are you willing to pull the kids out of school? Are you willing to load the car? Are you willing to buy some fuel? And are you willing to head out just in case to, to your bunker or to your shelter? Um, or do you want to wait until you see it falling out of the sky and all hell breaks loose and then your chances of getting out are very, very slim. And so I boil it down to it's you. You make the decision, not me. And, uh, but of course that brings up the next subject and that is bug out to where, you know, a lot of people have their bug out bag and they're, you know, very popular term right now. Oh yeah, I got a day's worth of food or three days. I got a knapsack. Uh, you know, I've got whatever, uh, or a backpack. I've got a first aid kit. Um, great. So then you're going to bug out to where to the mountains or to the desert where everybody else is going to bug out to that only has three days worth of food. So in other words, that's not a plan. Uh, that's more or less a, a bandaid. And, um, you know, you have to have a place to actually go and it better be ready, warm, ready, and, and able to, uh, accommodate you and protect you from whatever everybody else is going to be experiencing. You know, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, I'm going to the Ozarks. That's the probably the number one place in America that people think they're going to go. And the reason they're saying that is there are some experts saying, oh, it's going to be a safe zone. All right. Um, it's rural and there's some caves there and so on and so on. And it's high ground. Um, and to that, uh, I say, oh. So you're going where everybody else is going that doesn't have a plan and doesn't have any food and is not prepared. <laughs> you're going to go to hell. Sorry, but that's what it will be. You know, it's going to be uh, every man for himself. Why would you want to do that? If they're going to the Ozarks, you want to go the opposite direction. So let me, let me bring it back home to Vivos. And that is we have Vivos X point up in Southern Southwestern South Dakota um, at 4,000 foot altitude, 18 square miles of land area. I mean, it's three quarters the size of New York City. And when that facility is finished and it's growing every day as more and more uh, people are buying those bunkers and going there and out, starting to outfit them and get their uh, accommodation the way they want it, when it's done, we're going to have as many as 5,000 people there. But not just 5,000 people, 5,000 like-minded people and people that are well-prepared. And yes, they're going to have their toys and their ammo and their camo, but um, they're going to have each other's back. And so we end up with our own effectively police force, if you want to put it that way, um, as well as, you know, hired and Vivo security. But, um, you know, we laugh when we hear some of the locals up there. There's a town about 10 miles away that has 600 people living in it. Most of them are retirees. Um, they're toothless, if you will. They're um, a lot of drinking, smoking, drugs, those kind of things. Um, no jobs. Uh, it's, 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 an, it's a relic. But... In the bars, they've often said, oh, we're just going to raid that place. We're going to take it over when this stuff happens. And uh, we always kind of smirk 
because really, how is it you're going to come three miles down a dirt road that we see from a hilltop that is uh, op- wide open space? There's no trees, uh, and you're going to raid a facility or a compound of five thousand people that are well armed and are uh, prepared to, to stand their ground and protect their facility. Mm. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. You're, I hope my I hope my answers aren't too long winded. Not I not not at all, not at all. Yeah, and I under, I do understand that. Um, yeah, you're going to drive down, you know, across an open field while you've got cruiser machine guns blasting away at you. That's not going to work out so well. Um, but one of the things that always bugs me when I hear people say that is I kind of tur- I kind of turn it around and I and I ask them, what kind of a monster are you? You know, mm-hmm. so so if shit hits the fan. Um, I asked them, truly, your plan is to go and hurt people. You know, I, 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 I tell people, you should start getting counseling. Like, just work with somebody. <laughs> like, just because really, you have some serious issues. Cause, and sometimes they'll kind of get embarrassed and say they're just kidding or they'll whatever. But I, I think they mean it. So, so and, let me, yeah. let me, I'm sorry, go ahead. But I want to interject. Oh, no. I, I, Real. I, I, yeah, it's, 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 it's very telling. And I don't like how many people I, I hear say that. And I hear people that I know who aren't dumb, you know, they're fairly intelligent. And I'll say, well, that's my plan. I'm just going to go and rob people. And sure. it's like, well, okay, so you, that's your plan. So you've thought this out and your plan is to go be a, a serial killer. You're going to just start killing people and taking their stuff. Like, this is your plan. You could, you could make a different plan. You could... <laughs> There's many things you could do, but you choose this one. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's the easy way, and it's um, you know it's it's bringing out the real you know character and uh, of that person. But you know they're going to be a have-not looking for the haves. And uh, but let me give you an example of uh, some of the things we encounter as Vivos over the years. Uh, I remember a guy saying, he wrote us and said, if I only had three days notice, I would kill my local district attorney and his family. I would kill the the judge and his family, and then I would kill myself. And we thought, wow, that's a little startling. This was in Arizona. He was from Arizona. Application denied. (laughs) No, no. Actually, application referred to the FBI. The FBI, we referred it over there when we have some friends and they investigated and they called us back, um, called me back a few months later. And they said, Robert, we just wanted to thank you again. And I said, for what? And they said, the guy you referred us to was being watched. He did have a problem and he has been apprehended and arrested. And I said, wow. Then we had another guy in Texas who said, uh, well, I'm just going to come there and, and block all your air vents and I'm going to kill everybody inside. You're all going to suffocate. And, um, we wrote him back and said, really? Well, you know, bring it. Our, our security team needs some practice. Um, can you tell us when you're going to be arriving? And he wrote back, uh, this is the sick mind ready for this. He wrote back and said, are you threatening me? <laughs> so, um, but it, let me show you the, uh, the, the idiocy of that. And that is, um, how is it you're going to walk 
waltz, I'll, I'll use the word not walk, but waltz up to our bunker, find the air vents. You're going to block them with whatever you got and you're going to make, you're going to hurt us inside or you're going to flush us out. Really? Let me explain. If we're inside and our security is not outside on the surface with all sorts of devices and abilities that I can't tell you about, remember they're military. If, if uh, we can be on the outs, if you can be on the outside, we can too. So, you know, but once we're inside, once that door is sealed, there's a reason. And it's because you can, can no longer survive outside. Uh, and uh, therefore, you have to retreat to the bunker. So if we can't survive, neither can you. So how is somebody going to waltz up? They're going to have a fire suit or special apparatus. And that's their mission. He's going to be ready and he's already prepared and he knows who we are and where we are. Good luck with that plan. So, you know, it's a crazy world. Do you, do you remember there was a movie uh, probably before your time? It was called Poseidon Adventure. And it was uh, 70s Universal Studios. And it was about a cruise ship called the Poseidon that got hit by a big wave and flipped over. And uh, various groups of guests that didn't instantly get killed um, had to figure out how do we get out of this ship. And so they splintered into different factions. And some said, well, we got to go to the top. But the top was down. But uh, they followed this guy who said, no, that's the way out. Follow me. So they went down into deeper and deeper, effectively. The other groups, uh, or another group, the surviving group, followed what was referred to as the fat lady. The fat lady was Shelley Winters uh, of her time. By the way, I think she's um, somebody's mother. What's the guy's, the actor's name? Very, uh, um, very highly respected. I can't think of his name right now. But um, so she uh, formed her group. And people followed her and her solution and, and was to not go to the top of the ship, but to go to the bottom, which is now up. And so they made their way to the hull of the ship and started banging on the bottom of the hull from the inside. And there was a helicopter that had already landed on the ship looking for survivors. They heard the banging. They got out their torch, they cut, the, cut a hole in the bottom of the ship, and they all escaped. They were saved. So, you know, everybody's going to do their thing. They may not be doing the right thing. Their instincts may not be uh, uh, heading in the right direction, if that metaphor works for you. Oh, that absolutely does work. Um, well, one question I would have is, so you you were in contact with a lot of people. Like they mentioned, you have like a thousand people who apply. I'm sorry, like a hundred thousand people who are affiliated, I guess you'd say, who have applied. And one thing I, I know I often think of is, like you mentioned, civil war, or I would just say civil unrest or, or, or division within the country. And I don't think anyone is necessarily sure what that would look like, but it does seem like we're in an incredibly divisive time. Um, we do have 
uh, you know, some mayors of cities letting certain organizations get away with things that they definitely should not. With people who like to wear little little black outfits and such like that. And so we have an extreme time, extreme politics, extreme uh, extremes, 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 and it's both individuals, you know, citizens. It's also people in government who are ultimately citizens, also. But with, I guess, you see maybe the connections you have are really just like, like your own opinion. What do you think of, of general craziness? Are, are we getting into a point of general craziness where like the stability of our society is not necessarily something that a wise person would count on? Um, yes. And there's, it goes beyond the politics. It goes beyond the uh, craziness of the left versus the right. Um, you know, notice how Trump is blamed for all the division in America right now, um, as though he's the racist, when in fact, the people who are creating the division are shouting every day about, you know, they'll say he did this, and then they're doing the exact thing that they're blaming him for. So anyways, um, the, uh, but yeah, we, we have a civil war already going on in America. It just hasn't reached the uh, obvious level. Um, you know, there are shootings. They're based on political differences. Um, there are riots. There are um, all sorts of things. But what's really happening is the social media is accelerating it. They're dev divisive. They're censoring, uh, you know, what you can and can't say. And um, I think there's just... We just are waiting for something to spark it, to really ignite the the flare. It won't be with muskets like in the last civil war. It could be terrorists. It could be electronic. It could be all sorts of other ways. But it's going to have the same effect. It's going to uh, thin the population. So um, let's... Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think what's going to be the trigger is uh, the election, this coming election. You know, definitely. I think that there's so many stops that are, that are going to be pulled out as we get close to that. You know, so many. So it's. I think it's going to be extremes like we haven't seen yet. You know, and definitely if, if a person could be a maybe actually one of the best times to be uh, in a in a beautiful Vivos bunker there in South Dakota would be um, during the election season which is starting now I mean it's been going on but now but now it's getting even more intense I think it, no matter who wins this next election the other side is going to say enough and um, as I was putting it, if Trump wins, the other side's going to go crazy. If they win, um, then they're going to start doing things to this country that, you know, the, uh, the flyover section of the country is going to say, no way, enough, we're done with this. And I do think it's going to spark, and you're going to see some uh, civil war. You know, it's been predicted by others that we're going to have a civil war. And in fact... I don't know if you remember, um, ooh, what was his name, the time traveler, um, back in 2000, uh, his name will come to me, but he was, uh, he jumped on the internet, this guy, claimed to be a time traveler, but 
there was, it was, there's so much evidence that he really was. And one of the things he talked about, and very cryptically, is that America was going to have a civil war. And he noted it was around 2015 or something. Um, Timelines are, and dates are a little bit fuzzy. But he said that was going to be followed by World War III, where other countries were going to invade America while it's fighting, while it's weak. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see that as a possibility. So, um, but this guy, uh, do, you, do you remember who I'm talking about, Jim? No, I don't. I don't, I don't. I'm not sure who that would be. I'll have to research it. Around 2000, this person was this yeah, time traveler. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure much of your audience knows who it is, but let me... Uh, uh, Yeah, he, he was talked about quite a bit at the time. John Teeter was his name. T I T O T I T O R. It was a name that he used, not his real name. But anyways, there's there. Look him up. It took me two seconds to find him here, and um, there there's a lot of stuff on it. A lot of uh, media. A lot of facts, the uh, people that have followed him, an attorney who claims to represent his family, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, let's, let's, let's assume that he is real, that he came back from the year 2035, which isn't so far off anymore. Um, then we better heed some of the things he said. Now let's go the other direction and say, wait a minute. Um, he said all of this stuff when 2000, 2001, can you remember back to those days? Was there anything that would have made you believe that America was going to have a future civil war, another civil war? And the answer is no, there was no signs of that at that time. That would have been a crazy notion, uh, et cetera. Why would you ever think that? Because we didn't have this kind of, uh, divide that we have in America today. And so um, that alone, in my mind, is a credibility because here we are now, uh, 19 years later, and it's, it's, it's very much a possibility. There was a survey of uh, Democrats in America if they believe we're going to have uh, violence in the near future. And 92 to 94% or something said yes. They believe we're on the precipice of violence in this country. So, look, it all boils down to this. I don't, I'm not the Grim Reaper. I'm not here to scare you. In fact, um, I've had a lot of news uh, agencies, uh, and I love it when it's live because they can't edit, edit my, my response out. But um, they'll say, well, aren't you capitalizing on people's fears? And my response is, no, 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 I'm not here to compete with you. That's what you do. You're putting out the news, and it's not pretty. Um, and then you go to commercial. I'm not here to uh, alert people. I'm here to resolve their problems, to resolve their fears, 
so they can sleep better at night knowing that they have a solution. But, you know, you can't hide the fear. You can't hide the issues that are happening around the world that each news agency is reporting. Um, and there are other, by the way, experts out there. Some you may have already had on your show. Um, I don't know, but you know, they want to talk about all the problems and, uh, uh I don't want to name names, but they, they they give you in-depth detail about what they believe is a problem, what's going to happen, but they never offer a solution. And in fact, if everything they say is going to happen, uh, on the timeline they're, t- they're, they're identifying, then Oh, why wouldn't they want to also suggest a solution to save yourself or protect yourself from it? And it's, I, I've never been able to figure out why. Why not? They almost feel like it's, well, that's competitive to what I'm selling. You know, I'm selling Nibiru or I'm selling Planet X. And, uh, and so on. Once somebody approached me once and said, you know, we should put together a group of all of you guys. And, uh, you know, as a think tank and so on. And I said, good luck with that. He said, why? I said, because they don't get along. Everybody has their own ego and they all believe they're the God. They are the prophet. You know, I was on uh, NPR once and I knew it was going to be a gotcha interview. And uh, it was done by satellite. I was in a studio in San Diego in a sound booth. And... uh, she asked me uh, two questions that have at that as of that time hadn't been asked before, and uh, the first one was, "Well, aren't you kind of like Noah?" Uh, and my response to her was, "No, I don't aspire to be Noah, but I do Noah this. <laughs> this, this shit is going to happen." Wow, she had no no comeback for that. A little later, she said, well, aren't you kind of a modern-day prophet? And, you know, she's trying to get me to put myself on a pedestal, which I don't. It's not about me. I could care less whether my name's ever mentioned. But um, anyways, and so my response to her was, no, I'm a not-for-profit. I haven't made a dime of this. So, you know, you got to be real quick on your feet to, to come back at these guys. Um, because they're all, many of them trying to do a gotcha. Um, uh, and as I think I mentioned too, well, I won't even tell you, um, it's too, too topical and too current to, to mention. So Mm. I say it's it's too much. Oh, no, it's fine. Well, definitely with what may be ahead. I mean, we've had a good number of people on the show, um, and there tends to be, well, people, people, good number of people on the show around both pulse shifts and also the grand solar minimum. And so, you know, where pulse shifts may very well happen every 12,000 years, um, you know, those are a little hard to predict to the decade or to the hundreds of years. It's, it's hard to know. So, you know, maybe we'll see that in our lifetime, maybe not. But um, one thing that we can be sure of, I, I do think something which is a little bit more common is the uh, grand solar minimum. And that, that's something we've had uh, David Dubine on a few times about, and some other people uh, like Scott Chapman and such who are very knowledgeable about the grand solar minimum. So 
when we look at that, there's amazing books about the grand solar minimum, um, like uh, magnetic reversals and evolution and magnetic reversals and evolutionary leaps by uh, Robert Felix, and he talks about when the cosmic rays get intensified, like they are in a grand solar minimum. That's when you start to get people get a little crazy, and you get evolutionary leaps in humanity. And also, um, if we look at our time right now, something very tangible. If, if we are moving into a, it's about a two hundred and six, what a two hundred fifty year cycle of grand solar minimums, where it just gets basically very cold for a while. Um, that definitely affects um, empires of the world. Uh, you know, governments, countries basically are affected, and. There's a great book called uh, The Fate of Rome, Climate, Disease, and the End of Empire. And it really speaks of how uh, its argument is that really it was grand solar minimum. It was climate change in that way, in, in, in sun cycles, that actually is what allowed Rome to thrive when it did and then eventually basically weakened it to a great extent. And so when we just look at sun cycles that are very easy to predict, like grand solar minimums and maximums, just because they, they happen more often and we have more historical record of them. Then we look at like the huge pole shifts. Those are, well, we know they've happened. People argue about when they're going to happen, when they have happened and when it will happen again. Like we had a Ben Davidson on from uh, Suspicious Observers. And I know he seems to think that there's a, a pole shift right around the corner. And he's very, he seems very uh, uh, certain of that. So one way or the other, whether it's a little cataclysm or big cataclysm, just looking at sun cycles, we are due for something in our lifetime, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the way, Ben Davidson, uh, we just posted one of his videos uh, on our Facebook page where we um, like to put out current stuff. Let me see if I can find it. It's... Um, and he talks about exactly what we're, we're discussing here is the next pole shift and the history and everything leading up to it. Um, I'm scrolling through our Facebook page. There is just so much there. Um, and I'm not finding it quickly. So um, well, that's disappointing. We should get my finger on something quickly. Yeah, I, I looked at your Facebook page earlier today and I didn't see it. I scrolled down a little ways. I didn't see it. Um, but it'd be good to know which one that was. We'll definitely link to that one because he's he was on the show and he was really fun to talk to. It was good, and you know, like I say, his his certainty is that we're not looking at a grand solar minimum, or we may be. But, but what the concern for him is is that it's going to be a pole shift, and you know, <laughs> he, well, he's re- he, he's ready for it. So yeah, well, it's all connected, uh, actually. So here, I will find it here. I sent it to somebody yesterday. Just going to check my history. Um, So anyways, but uh, let me give you some other insight. Yeah. uh, That might timestamp. I like it. Perfect. Okay. So we have a uh, very, I have a very knowledgeable source. Um, of insights and it's so she's so profound that I have to take copious notes as, as I'm listening to her and just the stuff that's coming out of her uh, mouth tip of her tongue and the 
phraseology and the vocabulary and the stuff she's saying, there's no way it could be anything but um, uh, true. So, um, and, and, and real, and I've known her for a number of years. Um, let me just say that I do believe she's an ancient. All right, you've heard of old souls? Oh yeah. yeah. She's an ancient soul who's been on the earth many times, who was on the earth when the Noah event happened. And apparently mm -hmm. I was too, but that's another story. And uh, so she has been uh, kind of a mentor to me, providing me a lot of insight to the extent that um, our conversations last, last an hour to two hours, and I just get worn out. And I have to say to her, okay, let's pick this up again next week. And uh, so on. But she has told me um, something uh, that is, to me, very concerning, and it's around the corner. She said October 3rd is going to begin the five-year cycle. And it has something to do with the planet Pluto, which had something to do with the guidance and creation of our country as a nation. And the position it was in then, it's now back in. And that position is about a five-year transition. And this time, it's going to usher in the destruction of America. But there will be a phoenix and it will be recreated out of the ashes um, from the ancients. Those are the souls, the people that are here that are well aware that uh, know what's coming and they've come back to help us get through it. So um, there's, and she said, the third secret of Fatima will be disclosed. Uh, and I'm not going to give you the exact date, but about a year from now. Oh, fun. <laughs> after, after the coming election. It'll oh. be 20, 20, beginning of 2021. And uh, that's, it's going to be laid out. And that's when uh, there'll be no denial and people, real panic will probably set in but there's a fiduciary responsibility to put it out there. And, um, and she does know what it is. Um, and I've asked, and she won't tell me, but I'm able to connect enough dots uh, from our conversations as to what it's related to. And it is the whole shift. So um, let me uh, see. I sent this uh, video or the link to the Ben Davidson thing uh, just uh, geez, a couple days ago um, to NBC uh, Universal. They're doing, I mentioned earlier, this uh, thing. Mm -hmm. I, well, I think like. Ben Davidson definitely, uh, he, he's been doing space weather and uh, for quite a while. And uh, I think a lot of people who were doing, you know, grand solar minimum work basically originally got, you know, inspired by him. I think right. most don't agree, or at least they're just not thinking about the whole shift. They're thinking more GSM because that is tangible. 
you know, like that, that's easier to predict. It's kind of like you, you can predict weather, you can predict sun cycles that it's easier. Right. The pulse shifts are a bit harder to, um, like, I'm not sure like, when there'll be one. I honestly just say, I don't know, but I would say that I would say that it, it, it's possible anytime just because you can see the magnetic pole wander happening right now. And we're, we're in a grand solar minimum while we're entering one. So we are at a time when one is, is possible. That's definitely for sure. Yeah, let me go ahead and I found it. Let me uh, let me tell you the name of the video. You can find it on YouTube. Just search "cosmic disaster" uh, and CIA classified. Oh wow! Cosmic. Cosmic disaster, CIA classified. Hopefully, you can put a link on your website for that or blog. Uh, it's an hour and seventeen minutes, uh, but it's packed full of science and information and it's worth every minute to watch. Um, so yeah, he's one of my, uh, uh, I, I greatly admire the guy. Yeah. You know, follow his, uh, his research. He's also extremely well-spoken. So he's, he was a great guest to have on. I tell you, um, I found the video, yeah. Cosmic disaster, CIA classified. Um, and I'll put that in the show notes, of course, but, and I tell you, there's no one we've ever had on that caused more controversy where I had to like delete more comments and, <laughs> and police comments as him because people love him, people hate him. But I would say that with the extreme reaction we got, which I've never gotten from somebody, most people, you know, we just get positive comments or we get weird comments. You get the occasional negative one. I've really never deleted a comment ever. Um, but with Ben, I had to like, I had to kind of, I had to kind of clean up comments because he definitely inspires the ire in some people. I can tell you, people don't want to hear what he has to say. That is for certain. Well, it's it's third secret. It's uh, you know, it's it is the end, um, and it's it is pretty dismal to think about it, you know. But um, you know, to, and to face the truth and face reality. So most people want to put their head in the sand, like an ostrich. Uh, my response to that is great, but it's not going to save your ass, which is hanging out. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Wow. Well, we've had you on for almost two hours. Very and... I hate I hate listening to two hour long. Videos. <laughs> well, well, this one's worth listening to, and I think people will. Um, but you know, as we wrap things up, one thing I want to ask you because you've been an entrepreneur um, ever since King Kong. Which, you know, the, the, the huge inflatable King Kong and, uh, and, and you still are, you've done a lot of things in life and you've definitely been entrepreneurial and you have created, I mean, you have been inspired and you have created that inspiration and, and Nibus is a huge example of that. So as we kind of, as we come to a close, can you, can you give people some of your insight, kind of some of your inspiration to manifest like their dreams basically because you you you've had visions you've created them how can people through adversity stick tight to their vision and and create it because you are an authority you know you've done it well thank you i'm flattered um yeah i've done it many times i've actually made it and lost it and made it again um and the only thing i can say is never give up all right and never give up the faith uh follow your passion, whatever that may be. Um, make sure you take a realistic look of whatever your, you know, your goal is. Uh, not is it possible, but is it really there? Is it, is it something, you know, a lot of people come up with ideas for, for patents. 
I've got the greatest idea. They go see their lawyer. They spend 20 to 50 grand getting a patent and they think, oh, I'm all set. I'm going to be rich. Uh, somebody's going to license it from me. And the answer is no, they're not. Um, you've only got a license to defend uh, your technology, whatever you invented. Um, but most patents, unless you're a big corporation and you've already got a product and it's already rolling, you know it's for real. Most products that people invent um, really don't have a market. They are a minuscule market. Um, you know, I've got 18 patents to my name. I know it. I know the biz. And years ago, I said, I don't want any more patents because it's just a license to defend. I'll give you an example. I broke my uh, ankle and uh, the next day I had to fly to Australia um, to Sydney on business. And uh, I should have canceled the trip. Um, but instead, I had my shop build me a harness with a hook on it that I could put my leg in, my foot in, and, and pull on the, on the webbing, and it would uh, hoist it and lift it up. So it was at, um, you know, above, you know, off the ground and more comfortable. And uh, I knew that the particular seat that I was sitting in, which was a bulkhead seat, Right, on, right hand, uh, uh, foot, my right foot hanging out, which was the ankle. Um, I knew exactly what was ahead of me. And the reason is I had already made that trip on those planes, which was, uh, uh, I forgot, you know, Australians uh, Qantas, uh, already 10 times that year. So I had gone back and forth to Australia 10 times. And so obviously I pictured the what's immediately ahead, and there was a place to put the hook. And there was a place to put my foot. And so I did. And some guy sitting just ahead of me on the right, other side of the aisle, he kept looking, corner of his eye and looking at my thing. And he says, wow. He says, that's really, really clever. Well, where'd you get that thing? And I said, oh, well, you know, I had my shop make it yesterday. And he said, he said, you know, you could sell a lot of those. I said, yeah, you're right. Whenever somebody comes along with a broken ankle that sits in this exact seat on this plane, where they have that hook there that they could hang on to. <laughs> so good luck with that. Um, so anyways, what I'm saying is be realistic, but never, ever, ever give up. I love you it. Know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm a, a final example. I'm living, I have a Tuscan villa. It's a castle. It's 6,000 square feet. Now this isn't a brag. I'm just playing along with the, you know, your, your, theme here of success. Yeah. I designed it and built it, but here's the irony of it. We broke ground the day after 9-11. I had the financing, the bank loan, permits, everything was set. The bulldozer arrived to grade the site. Uh, this is above the ocean and overlooking, you know, the uh, Southern California overlooking the ocean. And, um, I'm going, oh my God, what did I do? I got to get out of this. I can't, why am I, I you know, the world's ending in 9-11, you know? And, um, but I couldn't stop it. And so we just went with the flow. Uh, the home was built, took two years to build. Um, and uh, all of a sudden I made a few million dollars because its value skyrocketed, um, you know, in the 82, 80, or I'm sorry, 2002, 2003 period. 
So anyways, it was a blessing in disguise. Um, but never listen to people that are the, the naysayers. Uh, you know, for them, it's not reality. For them, it's not going to happen. And in the Vivos world, we're, we hear from so many people. My family thinks I'm crazy. My wife thinks I'm crazy to be considering this. That's the most common thing we hear. And my response to that is, well, are you prepared for them to say you're a hero? And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, when this stuff happens, they're all going to be believers. They're all going to jump in the car and say, let's go. And daddy, thank you. Thank you for thinking, you know, preparing for having this for us. You know, we're sorry we doubted you. You know, everybody on the planet is going to be a believer when it actually happens. For now, it's unbelievable. Oh, this will never happen in our lifetime. And to those people, I say, really? How do you know? Are you a government scientist or expert? Uh, where did you come up with it'll never happen? And uh, then I'll say to them, oh, you must be a psychic because you're able to see the future. And they'll go to me, no, I'm not a government guy and I'm not a psychic. I just don't believe it's going to happen in my lifetime. And I said, ah, so it boils down to belief. And the truth is, it's not whether you believe it's going to happen or not. Is are you prepared if it does? Bottom line. Mm. Absolutely. Are you prepared to be wrong? Oh, are you prepared to be wrong? I like uh -huh. it. Well, or here, yeah, here's something I think we put on Facebook uh, yesterday. Are you planning on being lucky or preparing to be ready? Hmm. From a philosophy point of view, that fits anything, not survival. You know, I'm going to get a job with Google. I'm going to be rich. Uh, and so, okay, you're planning on that. Uh, but is that out of luck? Or are you preparing to get the skill sets that Google's going to hire you, that mm -hmm. Google needs? You know, just using them as an example. Yeah, well, luck tends to truly be something I think that is cultivated. I mean, they're prepared tend to have luck. So for me, I, I, I consider myself a lucky person because I, I practice what I want to be good at and I prepare for the, okay. you know, what luck. I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Years ago in business, uh, we used this expression, luck, and it, we didn't invent it. It's, it's out there. It's an adage. Luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. Mm. Okay. So yeah. you, you know, um, you got the big uh, opportunity to make the sales pitch to Mr. Wright, you know, at XYZ Corporation. All right, you got your door. But are you prepared to make that pitch? You know so you have to, you can be lucky, but you also have to be prepared. All right, enough philosophy. Um, look, I hope people didn't think I was selling. Uh, I'm not here to sell, I'm here to tell. And my mission is to help save people, as many as possible, whether that be at Vivos or in a government shelter or causing you to run down to Home Depot and buy a shovel and some concrete, start digging, you know. Um, but get ready. Get ready to survive or get ready not to survive. Yes, luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. You can't really say any better than that. So be prepared and you'll get lucky. Well... Wow. <laughs>
<laughs> Robert, right. Yeah, Robert Pensino from the Vivos Project. And it's, definitely... It's, it's Vicino, not no N in that. V-I- Vicino, I- yes. I I, yes, definitely. Um, check it out. The link's in the show notes. You know, what guy would not like one of these amazing man caves in South Dakota? I know I want one. <laughs> oh, and by the way, um, we now allow people to live there full time. So some people are buying them just as hunting lodge, place to get away, place to go with the guys or with the family, call it a and, cabin in the mountains. And, the I, and I'm really amazed that there are still ones available because I look at it and go, of course, I haven't bought it yet, you know, but still um, they're what, 2,200 square feet. These are basically, basically Quonset hut shaped cement structures that are you know partially underground and covered with earth yeah yeah yeah, covered with earth from radiation and or blast etc etc they were designed during world war ii to house thousands of uh, or probably a million bombs that were uh, built in in the war for in fact it's kind of funny i was doing a interview with a Japanese film crew and their their number one correspondent, the Barbara Walters of Japan. And they came over to that site and we toured it and we're talking and they said, so why did the government of the United States build these bunkers? And there's, you know, unbelievable, the, the, the landscape full of bunkers. And I said, oh, they were filled with bombs for during World War II. And I didn't go any further with it, quickly realizing those bombs ended up on Japan. <laughs> oh, geez. So, yeah. Um, ironic. But, um, yeah, these things were built, and they're 400 feet apart from each other in every direction. So that if one had an explosion, it uh, wouldn't be a chain reaction. And there's amazing pictures online of of the facility and also when it was housing bombs, so you can actually see the, uh, the the bunkers when there were bombs in them and the amazing front doors that they have on them. And uh, the nice thing is it's 2,200 square feet. You can just have a place to go glamping as they call it. You can keep it however you'd like. Of course, many people are starting to build beautiful structures inside and it's, it's to me very, very exciting. And the price, they're just 35K, what like plus like a thousand dollars a year for kind of like, renting the land space, I guess. But yeah. that, that, is, that is incredible, especially if you can finance it, you know, one way or the other. That is incredible. And we finance it. Yeah, that is incredible. I mean, for a 22-square-foot house, that's... 2,200. Yeah, I'm sorry. 2,200-square-foot house, that is cataclysm-proof for 35K. But I wait mean, a minute. But wait, there's more. There's As, more. Uh, <laughs> what, what's the guy... Uh, the, uh, infomercial um, selling um, leak seal. Uh, can't can't remember his name, but we uh, I often mock him. Oh yeah, but wait, there's more. Yes, Phil. Hi, Phil here from Leak Seal. But wait, there's more. There's more. And, so, and here's the more. Um, we are actually selling some of the units that need a little repair for half price. Oh, so seventeen thousand five hundred. You know, you get your shell bunker ready to go. You're going to put a few, maybe a few thousand and making some repairs. And, uh, and then you're off to the races. At least you've got a, uh, an empty canvas or a blank canvas to get started on building out the interior. And if you can't oh. afford that, <laughs> let me tell you how you can. And, oh, but yes. wait, here's, here's how. 
you find 17 people to share it with or 10 people and split that cost and split the work, you know, of actually going there and having fun. And if it takes you a period of years to do it, so be it. But get the essentials ready so that if you got to go tomorrow or next month, that you will be able to immediately survive in it. So even if you got to ride your bicycle there with your backpack, with with your bug out bag, you're going to make it. You know, so start getting in shape, people. <laughs> that's well, you you hit it the nail on the head. How do I get there? Any way you can. Yeah. And, uh, oh, let me also mention we are working on a reality show for that particular uh, complex. And it'll go on for a period of years, like Gold Rush, where it's going to effectively follow the development of the community. And we don't know what the title is yet. It could be Bunkerville. It could be Survivor Town. But it will be an ongoing, fascinating show as meeting the people, what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, interactions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, bunker up. There you go. Bunkerville. Bunkerville. Bunker up. All right. Oh, it has been great talking to you. Thank you so much for taking two hours to to talk to us and tell us all about this and from many, many different angles and give us lots and lots of insight. And yep. uh, I'll have this up probably in the next oh, 24 hours. This will be up and I'll send you a link to it. Yeah, we'll post it for you. But anyways, thank you. Um, you know, I it's part of my day. It's part of my job is to get the word out. Oh, you did. <laughs> All right. Be good. Be safe. Will do. Thank you so much. You are listening to Radiant Creators, a collaborative project composed of people whose passion, purpose, and dedication requires forging their own unique path of empowerment and livelihood. A Radiant Creator isn't making a living. They are living. <laughs>